My name is AJ, like Steve said, I'm one of the pastors here at Citadel Square, and we are happy that you are joining us uh, here today or online, and so happy Thanksgiving week, right? It is the week. So it is Thanksgiving week. I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. When you get there, say, got it for me. So that I know you're tracking along, say got it. We can talk back even through masks. We can talk back to one another. Got it. All right. When you get there, say got it for me so that I know you're awake and tracking along, ready to read God's word. I'm going to read our text in just a moment and then pray for us as we begin to dig in. Uh, I just want to say a big thanks to Steve Lindenmeyer as uh, he shared the word with us last week. I actually got to take my family on vacation last week, so that was really awesome. Enjoyed the time. We took our annual pilgrimage to Disney World. I have three daughters, so that is just what we do. As a girl dad, that's just what I do. And so it was a blast. Uh, He preached uh, from John 15 on abiding in Christ. And I am going to be preaching today in Matthew chapter 6 on money. And so... You can tell which one of the two of us is the spiritual one. Steve hitting abiding in Christ last week, me hitting money. And so just thank you for joining us on our two-week series called Abiding in Christ and Money. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We pray that it would pierce our hearts. God, we pray that we would be people who not only just sing that on Christ that we have a firm foundation and all other ground is sinking sand. God, but that we would sing those words, we would let those types of thoughts and meditations be rooted in our heart. God, that we would ask ourselves daily, what am I building my life upon that is sinking sand? Let me eradicate that from my life. Let that be our prayer this morning. Let us truly treasure the things in which you've called us to treasure and lay those up in heaven. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone say together, amen. All right, so I'm going to probably drive the camera guys nuts because I move around 
a lot, like a lot, okay? Steve is much more stationary than I am, so I'm sorry about that. My apologies, okay? And if you're joining us online, I am sorry if I get blurry and fuzzy, but I'm just a mover. So you guys, I won't get blurry for you guys that are here, okay? So by show of hands, do you have a family member, a friend, a frenemy who is greedier than you, stingier than you, maybe worse off that managing money than you. No one, no one has a friend. Show of hands, let me see the hands. Do you know someone who's greedier? That should be pretty much everybody. You guys are so nice to your friends and family. Man, you guys are not judging them at all. I think if we were to think about that, every one of us probably knows someone that we would project that thought onto, don't we? And we would say, person's irresponsible with money, person's greedy, person's stingy, person doesn't act like a Christian when it comes to finances. You see, when it comes to an area where growth is needed in our lives, our carnal tendency is to point out a weaker brother or sister in that area to make ourselves feel better. That's kind of our gut reaction almost every time we may read a sermon. We may hear a sermon, right? We may read the text. We may say, hey, I heard this sermon yesterday, and man, it was for you, right? We might even say, I wrote down some application points and pff, whole list for you. You should really check out my notes, but you could just listen to it for yourself. That's not the way to approach these things, but that's kind of our default sometimes. But when money is involved, it's different, right? Money's just different altogether. Jesus talked a lot about money. Some people estimate kind of he's in that 20% of his words. The subject of them was money. He talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. He talked more about money than he did prayer, than he did faith. But why is it different? Why is money so important to God? You see, there's a direct correlation between our true spiritual condition and how we relate to money and possessions. In this text, we're going to see three metaphors in the passage that we just read, and they drive this point home. Your heart, if you're taking notes, your heart, your fixation, and your service reveal that which is supremely valuable to you. So let me ask you, what is supremely valuable to you? What would someone who had unlimited access to all of your thoughts and actions say is supremely valuable to you? You see, I can feel it up here. I can feel it. This is different than some of the other sermons. When you... When it comes to talking about money in church, it can just get real weird, and I get that. But I do know that God wants us to live generous lives. He wants us to be cheerful givers, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. And I believe that 100%, 100% of the time, God provides for his bride, the church. And so he often allows us to be the conduit that the stewardship flows through. But 
I'm praying for a perspective change for us today because I can feel the tension in the room whenever we just talk about money because it's not something we usually just talk about, especially in church. So I'm praying for this, that we would see this through the text, that what if we saw generosity not as something God wants from you, but what if we saw generosity as something God wants for you? Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19. Let's look at what God has to say about treasures and our heart. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So in this section of the Bible, we are looking at today, we are reading a teaching of Jesus and this section is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a pretty familiar section if you've, uh, if you've read the scriptures, navigated the Bible for any period of time. It may even be familiar to you if you're new to the Bible or new to exploring Christianity. And we're glad you're here today. This is a section where Jesus is teaching, kind of on, he rests at a mountain and he's teaching to multitudes. So it may be a few hundred people or so. But what does he teach them? See, he is teaching that those who follow him, those who follow God, those who are Christians, will live drastically different lives than those who are secular and those who are nominal in their belief. That's where this kind of gets turned on its head. He's going to tell you your life is going to be different, and here's some of the ways in which it's going to be different. They're going to live a countercultural life in a completely different kingdom. Matthew's gospel is saying that the kingdom is coming. And because you live in a different, and you live in a kingdom, you are devoted to a king. And so we see here in verse 19 of chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, for, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we're coming on the heels of Jesus talking about giving to the needy earlier in this, in this chapter. He's been talking about how to pray and fast. And now he says this. And he says, do not. So don't do this. Well, why? You see, remember what we said the Sermon on the Mount is just all about. This would be degrading to yourself as a servant of the kingdom of God a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom to store up treasure on earth. He says you're investing in the wrong spot. So he starts with the negative here. He starts with the negative and he says, don't do this. Don't lay up those treasures on earth. And he gives you a reason why. He gives you a reason you can relate to on why storing up Treasure on earth is a bad investment strategy, right? He tells you two reasons. He says, bugs can eat your stuff. They can eat that kind of treasure. Rust can get into it. And he gives you another one. Thieves can break in and steal it. So what's the imagery here? Earthly treasure can decay. You're like, duh, dude. Right? You may be even saying, duh, Jesus, which... That's between you and God if you want to tell Jesus, duh, right? You can tell me that all the time. But it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? 
It can, it can decay and it can be stolen. The idea here is that you cannot take money or material possessions with you. But as we'll see in the next verse, you can send some kind of treasure on ahead to heaven. That's an interesting thought that we're going to get into. If this earthly wealth doesn't decay or if it isn't stolen, you will certainly be separated from them in death. Now, you may have not heard the song by the notorious B.I.G., but you may be familiar with the concept, right? The late, great theologian, the notorious B.I.G., says, Mo money, mo problems, right? You're familiar with the concept. Randy Alcorn has a book kind of built around this passage. It's called The Treasure Principle. And in it, he quotes some of the wealthiest people to have ever lived. And he chronicles their thoughts about money on the other side of being rich. You see, some of us out here may be like, I'm, I'm lower middle class. I'm middle class. I'm never going to be rich. But you may be aspiring to it. Your heart may be gravitating toward it. Right? You may have, money may have a grip on you and you may not even know it. This kind of lifestyle may be what you're aspiring to. And Randy Alcorn quotes some of these wealthy people throughout history. Listen to what they had to say about money after the accumulation of these treasures on earth. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. One of the members of the Vanderbilt family said that. John D. Rockefeller, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. John Jacob Astor, I am the most miserable man on earth. And then Henry Ford says, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. See, some of us may not be able to relate to that kind of wealth. But if we were honest with ourselves... Could we recall what kind of treasures we are storing up? Let's look at what Jesus says in verse 20. So then he tells us where we should lay this treasure up. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he gives us the exact inverse of the first verse. When he gives us the, these instructions to lay up, the word could also be interpreted as treasure. That's a weird way to read that. Read that verse with that in mind. But treasure up for yourselves treasure in heaven. They come from the same word as treasure later in the verse right there. So treasure up for yourselves treasure in heaven. What does that look like? This is... He takes the negative from the first verse, flips it, right? Gives you positives of what's going to happen if you do not do this. And then he says, if you do this thing positively, if you do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then this stuff, this decay, this bug eating, this rust, this thieves breaking in and stealing, then that can happen. So did you see that? This will last for eternity. Jesus just said, 
lay up for ourselves, for yourselves, for you treasures. God wants a generous life for you. Remember I asked you that question? What if we began to see generous generosity as something God wants for us, not from us? God wants this for us. That should be a revolutionary idea. Because as soon as you hear someone talking about money, especially in church, you get a little squeamish, don't you? You're like, dude, where's, I'm, I'm waiting on the pamphlet for the building campaign. Right? Well, we got some buildings back here that really need some renovation, but that pamphlet ain't coming today. Okay, so relax. You're good. You're like, okay, okay. We're good, we're good. So certainly not in these verses and nowhere else in the Bible for that matter is the prosperity gospel not being advocated for. Believe in Jesus and you're going to have a life of earthly luxury. That concept is not here and it's not anywhere else in Scripture. When it talks about us being rich, it talks about us being rich in treasures on earth. No. Rich in God, right? And so... We believe in Jesus and we're going to live a life of earthly luxury. That is not the case. It's a false gospel. And on the other hand, the passage is not advocating for the poverty gospel either. It's not saying don't take care of your family and just spend your money, give it all away and struggle, struggle, struggle. It's not saying that either. That's a, a misinterpretation of the passage as well. Wealth nor poverty are a means to spirituality here. See, if you've been gifted as an income generator, hear me on that. You as an income generator is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's the way in which he's maybe skilled you or gifted you. That is not a sin. Steward that well. So the big question looming in this verse is what are these treasures in heaven, AJ? What are these things that we can send on before us to heaven? Well, let's look. You see, these are things that cannot be eaten by moths, decayed by rust, stolen, right? So I think the the totality of Scripture kind of points us in the right direction toward what these things can be. First and foremost, these treasures in heaven can be your relationship with the creator of the universe, the savior of souls, the redeemer of nations, with God himself. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Make deposits there. You know that feeling when you feel spiritually dry because you're not making deposits in that relationship, don't you? Make deposits there. That kind of, you even know what I'm talking about. Whenever I ask that question of, what if generosity is something God wants for us? You know that reciprocal feeling. When you put time into your relationship with Jesus, what happens? Do you think Jesus ends up being blessed by that? Sure, but who gets more of the blessing in that relationship? You do, right? I do, whenever I do those things. Steve Linnemeyer just preached on it last week, what that looks like to abide in Christ. See, I told you this was a two-part series, abiding in Christ and money. Number two, what's an earthly relationship that's going to last forever? So you've got a heavenly spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We've got an earthly relationship. These are relationships with others who love God. And they, those are going to last for eternity because those people are headed to the same destination as you are. So isn't that compelling? Isn't that compelling enough to say, I need to be sharing the gospel with others because those who are around me who I'm not sure of where the, what their spiritual makeup is, I need to share the gospel faithfully so that this relationship that I have with this individual, a friend, a family member, those whom God has put you in cl- close proximity to, that that person can spend eternity with you and most importantly with Jesus. And that's an encouragement to encourage others, to sharpen other brother and, brothers and sisters in Christ so that they have confidence and they are assured of their salvation. And then finally, another way to lay up treasure in heaven is to contribute to the kingdom of God. The advancement of the gospel through generous living, sharing and doing things for God and his glory now, that is treasure that will be safe in God's hands. What does that look like? That looks like many practical ways, but giving of yourself to gospel advancing work, to the church, to missionaries, right? To opportunities that we just shared about during the announcements, giving your material possessions, your money away. All right, so we get to our linchpin verse here, verse 21, check it out. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart. That seems to be the theme in the Sermon on the Mount. Anger, don't just commit murder, but don't even be angry in your heart, Jesus says earlier, right? Lust, don't commit adultery, but don't even have lustful intent in your heart. You see, Jesus is ma- he's magnifying these things. He's saying there's something below the surface here. Give to the needy. Don't just give to the needy so that you get glorified by the sounding of the trumpet is the, is the language he uses. Do so discreetly so that God may be glorified. If you do so loudly, you have already received your reward, Matthew 6, 2 says. You see, the verse is alluding to our passage and to the heart. Your heart reveals that which is supremely valuable to you. What are you fixated on? If what you define as precious is located in heaven, that's where your heart will be. Money and possessions have a power to grip us and keep us earthbound. Our lives on earth do matter, but hear me on this, they are quite fragile. James 4, 14 says you are a mist. He calls me and you a mist in light of eternity. Our lives here on earth are that of a vapor. You see, I like my current house. It has some cool architectural features. I like the house, but at the end of the day, it is just a house. This earth is not our home. It's just a hotel. Steward it well. Don't trash the place. But God has guaranteed you and me, he's going to check us out of this hotel at some point. So 
How do we make sure we know where our heart is directed? This is an illustration as well from history. John Wesley, a prominent pastor back in the 1700s, he began to limit his expenses of living. He, one year he made 30 pounds and he calculated that it cost him 28 pounds to live. So he gave two away. Well then, the next year his income doubled. So he kept his expenses at 28, 28 pounds. And he gave away 32. And this continued so on and so forth to where one year he made 1,400 pounds. And he was still living very modestly, giving away over 1,300 pounds. And so do you have this relationship with money where you can say, this, these things don't grip me. If I get a raise, does that mean I get to then live more lavishly? Or does that mean that I get to then live more generously? That's a question for us all. As stewards, that's the way in which we've been gifted. We've been gifted with these good gifts, so store them up in heaven, not on earth. All right, let's look at this, this middle section here where it talks about the eye and the lamp. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, the eye is similar in, to the heart. It's a way in which things enter our souls, in which things enter us. Money and possessions have a unique power to grab our fixation and darken the eye. You see, motive in Christianity is everything. This is what Jesus has continually done and we've made note of in the Sermon of the Mount. There's something you're struggling with on the surface. There's something at the heart level, at the eye level, that is deeper. The eye is the synonym for the heart here. It's pointing to motive. And what you hold precious, what grips you, and what you are fixated on. You cannot trust yourself. Hear me clearly on this. You cannot trust yourself to govern your own generosity. Do you think you can trust yourself with money? You know, do you know why? Because greed has the power to blind you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Greed has the power to blind you and it can do so in a respectable sin type of way. It can do so in a, we don't really talk about money that much. We don't want to talk about money that much because it's something that makes just people feel weird. It makes people feel awkward. If we talked about money as much as Jesus talked about money, well, we would be maybe a completely different church. Could you see us clipping away at one of these types of sermons once every four or five weeks? Yikes, right? But Jesus teaches about this frequently for good reason. You see, growth, progression, sanctification in this area of generosity gets talked about 
as much as growth in the area of humility. It's a weird thing to talk about. And if we do, I'm not even talking about in a sermon. I'm talking about relationally. It's a weird thing to talk about, right? If we do, well, there goes the reward. You can't really talk about these things, right? Because there goes your reward if you already talked about it. You're not going to have this type of conversation very often. Hey, what are you up to? Oh, not much. Just laying up some treasure in heaven. How about you? Ah, uh, nothing much. I'm just over here growing in my humility. You want to join me later? You're never going to have that conversation. That's why this subject feels the way it does. It feels heavy. It feels maybe like I don't struggle with this. If you're thinking I don't struggle with this, greed may have you right where it wants you. It darkens the eye. You see, I meet with people all the time, and what are they struggling with? Lust, pride, lack of devotional life. No one has ever come to me and said, AJ, I'm a stingy Christian. I'm struggling with greed. Can you help me? Jesus gives us a unique warning here. This is a sin that can creep in, and it creeps in through where? It creeps in through the eye. Greed and materialism are all about what is seen. What does that do to us? It causes us to draw our dependency away from faith and the unseen. And then it causes you to believe you don't have a problem in this area. I'm never going to be rich. I don't struggle with money. Right? Remember the opening question. Do you know someone greedier than you? Sure, that it must be a problem for us, right? It must be because that's where greed wants us. If we know someone that we're projecting this comparative issue onto and we're not looking and searching our heart, where am I being greedy? Where am I being materialistic? Where am I not taking opportunities to be generous? Remember, as soon as I start asking those questions, what do you feel? I feel God wants something from me, and we start to shell up. But God wants something for you in this area. Money may have a grip on you when you don't even think it's a problem. That is how a blind spot is created, because you see materialism all around you. Storing up stuff here on earth comes natural to us. Right? Taking inventory of what we have in our bank accounts is second nature. If your eye is healthy, you can be self-aware enough to know that I need others to speak into this area in my life. You must let other trusted followers of Jesus in. I've heard of Christians doing their taxes together, and I thought that was a radical idea. I don't think it's so radical. Who have you given access to speak in and be able to call out a blind spot if your grip is tightening on your wealth? Who can call you your stinginess and your greed out? Let me give you an example of how a blind spot like this can cause you to lie to yourself. Think about this. It may be a silly illustration, but start to, start to catalog in your own mind if you've ever been victim of this. Say you buy an expensive pair of shoes, for example, right? If your parents or spouse ask you how much you spent on those shoes, you may say $70. 
when you know good and well you spent $150. Why would you do that, right? And when a friend who really likes, the, who really likes quality products, you've got a friend who, we're not going to label them materialistic. We're just going to say they like quality. You know, you know what I'm saying. You have a friend like that. Like that friend's not materialistic. They just like quality. They like the goods, right? You may tell him or her that you spent $200 on that same pair of shoes that you spent $150 on and that you lied to your family member about. You see, you're placating to both sides. Money is the security for the saver, and it's the significance for the spender. And for the steward, they begin to see that generosity is what God has for them not stuff on earth. He says, lay up treasures in heaven. All right, let's look at our last verse here. Verse 24. This is the third of our metaphors. And he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one And despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That last word in the verse is sometimes translated as mammon, which basically means money and possessions. And we have two options here. We have the option to serve God or money. You cannot serve both, Jesus says. He says there is no room for dual masters for you to be cross-trained in the kingdom of God. You can't do that. He says there's a singular purpose, a singular one in whom you serve. The danger here is idolatry. What can't you live without? Even the good things. Think about the really, really good things in your life. Some of the blessings that God has even given you in your life. It may not be so blatant coming to mind, so let me ask some diagnostic questions. What are you dreaming about? What do you dream about? What do you daydream about? What gets most of your energy? When you say, man, I'm a morning person from 7 to 9 a.m., I'm ready to go. What gets your time there? What gets most of your money? That's an easy one. You've heard that one. A lot when anyone ever preaches on money. Well, look at your checkbook. Well, good thing we don't have checkbooks anymore, right? But look at your bank statements. What does get most of your money? It's good to be aware of that. It's good to start to know where that goes. What are you looking forward to? What's, what's really got your attention? What are you giving your time to? i.e., what are you serving? Have you ever thought this? I'll really be able to give my life away and serve God once I'm financially secure. I'll really be able to do some ministry once I'm set up financially, once I'm a little bit more comfortable. See, comfort may be your master. Money makes for a terrible master. You see, everything you serve as a master will ultimately want you to die for it. It's going to call you to die for it. 
And Jesus is the only master who dies for us. In Luke 9, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my, for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's a similar type of warning, isn't it? Money, material possessions, things of earth. All right, so how can you know money isn't your master? How can you know money isn't your master? Number one, you can love the rich. You can love the rich, right? We can end up envying them pretty easily. We can also end up with this, uh, you can almost end up thinking you're better than the rich because money doesn't have a grip on you. It almost creates a, uh, a middle class or an impoverished arrogance. You're like, man, do those people have lots of possessions or do those possessions possess them, right? You get kind of that attitude about it. But can you not have an arrogance? Can you not envy them? And can you just love them? Can you love the rich? Number two, you can respect the poor. You can respect the poor. Tim Keller says this, he says, just because you may be financially superior to someone, right, does not mean that you are superior to them. But that's where we instantly go, is I'm financially better. I must just be better. I'm financially more significant, then I just must be more significant. And we know that's not true. So can you respect those who make less money than you? Can you respect someone who's in a different socioeconomic status than you? It's so easy to start sizing people up based on what you perceive as their income. Can you respect the poor? And then number three, how can you know money isn't your master? You are radically generous with your own money, especially when it comes to the advancement of the gospel. Well, what about the tithe? What about the 10%? What about this Old Testament idea of giving these first fruits away to God? Isn't that the standard? Right? Jesus does validate that idea in Matthew 23, 23. He, he, says, uh, he says that that is acknowledged by Jesus. And he makes, he makes note of it in Matthew chapter 23. But after the gospel accounts in the Bible, we really don't hear much about it. So what happens? Well, there's this kind of, kind of a rule that, yeah, 10%, what a great place maybe to start. Right? Isn't that a good standard? Well, the giving of the early church in Acts 2.45 gets really radical. It gets a little bit crazy, right? They start selling off their possessions so that they can take care of their family, their new family in the kingdom of God. Right? They start selling off possessions to take care of 
their brothers and sisters in Christ. They begin giving to the church, to one another, and to the advancement of the kingdom as if they're storing up treasure where? In heaven, right? Not here on earth. As if they've defined what is truly supreme in their lives. As if they know it truly is better to give than it is to receive. Get good at giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, See that you excel in this, this being giving. Act of grace also. 2 Corinthians 9 continues with this thought. It says, So I thought it necessary, Paul's writing here, to urge you, urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it might be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. To this point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for whoever God, for God loves a cheerful giver. So there's this spirit empowerment now, that we can be prompted to give. And sometimes giving 10% is really going to hurt. But how do we give? What is, the new, what is this New Testament? What is this standard of giving? We give in light of the cross. Whew, that sounds heavy, right? That sounds like you guys are waiting on me. Just ushers come on forth with the baskets, Right? See, Jesus talked about giving a lot, and he never took up one offering. He gave it all first. We give in light of the cross. You don't just take up your cross relationally. Have you ever thought about taking up your cross financially? It's a revolutionary thought, isn't it? I've never thought about that until I wrote it. Have you ever thought about taking up your cross financially? Does your generosity cost you some comfort? You see, 5% may cost you something. It may feel like your cross at this point in your life. If you're giving 5% of your income and you have to change the comforts of your living, then that may be your cross for this season. 10% may be that mark. 25% may not change the way in which you live. If you're, and I'm not just saying giving to the church, I'm saying giving away. If you're giving away 25% of your income, that may cause you to, to, to take up a cross and put away some comfort. It may cause you to get uncomfortable in your lifestyle. And that is the standard. Are you really losing something when you lose that comfort? Let me challenge you on that. Are you really losing something? If our very best things are in heaven, our very best thoughts will fly the same direction. But if our choicest possessions are on earth, our heart will be earthbound. Remember, this is just a hotel. In loosening our grips, Grip on the things of earth, God is for us. In laying up treasure in heaven, God is for us. In taking up our cross daily, 
God is for us. Now let me, let me end here. But we got to start with some bad news first before we get to the good news. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. It says, the heart, remember that was kind of our pivotal verse in verse 20, 21. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But here's the good news, and it's in the very next verse. In Jeremiah 17, 10, it says this. I, the Lord, search the heart. God knows you. He knows what we needed. He knows we didn't just need a good friend, a, a, a buddy to die for us, right? He, he knows that wouldn't have helped us. He knows that we needed the perfect Savior, the Son of God, to die for us. He knew that, that we were that wretched, that the only thing could, that could pay our sin and debt was Jesus himself. And Jesus treasures you. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was fully secure and fully significant. He was there. He was, in the, he was at the right hand of the Father. He didn't need to do this, right? That though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, for you, Jesus treasures you for your sake. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God loved you so much that Jesus died so you could be earthly rich? No. He loved you so much so that you could be rich in salvation and heavenly inheritance that comes with it. God is a generous father who wants to bless his children. See, Jesus loves us so much that he wants our hearts, desires, fixation, our service, all of our thoughts. He wants those things to be about him. And he wants to be our treasure for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you That where our heart lies, there we'll find our treasure, God. We'll find our treasure where our heart is directing us. And we just read that our hearts are wicked. And that's a scary thing to leave us to ourselves. But we're so glad that you don't. You don't leave us to our own devices, God. You sent Jesus. And you sent him to make a way for us. You sent him so that we could have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that we would treasure that, we would cherish that. That would be that in which we hold precious. That would be that in which we long for. That would be that in which we are fixated upon what our, our eyes gaze upon all day and night. God, that Jesus would be our master, nothing else. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us now. God, as much as this passage is about money and material possessions and generosity, God, it's about our heart. It's about our relationship with you and what we truly treasure. I pray that each and every one of us would make you our eternal treasure, God. And I pray that the word would just grab our hearts, God, that we would begin to take these words, put them into practice, and live it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen.